Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all up and up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian conservative Bruno Barron, Democrat Patrick Hanley, Mike Miller, Republican economist who joins us from the state of Washington, and in the second hour, Gary Abernathy, Washington Post columnist and author of Abby Abernathy Road, and Greg Ballard, the former mayor of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight from our home base, AM560 WYND, the studios in beautiful Elk Grove Village. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open, 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. I am most interested, if anyone will admit that they watched a significant amount of the hearings uh, over the last couple of weeks, or uh, uh, did you watch the network news coverage? Do you have any reaction at all? And most importantly, uh, did it change your mind at all? One way or the other, uh, were your, has your mind been changed uh, based on what happened on January 6th and the interpretation of that uh, by the House Committee looking into the uh, actions of those days? But we begin, uh, we've got two in-studio guests, Bruno Barron and uh, Patrick Hanley join me in studio. Uh, Mike Miller joins us from his uh, new home out in Bellingham, Washington, veteran uh, economist for DePaul University. And uh, Mike, I mean, obviously one of the big dominating stories of this past week uh, has been the economy. So let me begin with kind of throwing a big softball to you. What is the significance of the big financial stories that broke this past week, in your opinion? Well, there's no doubt that the Federal Reserve is very concerned that inflation, is, they were behind the curveball and or behind the uh, uh, curve, and they got started on stopping inflation um, too late after it had already uh, started. Uh, so we have a very, we have a kind of an odd economy. We have an economy with the highest inflation in 40 years, which is causing, uh, even though we're getting good wage increases, those hmm. wage increases are being eaten alive by the inflation. This has led consumer confidence to its lowest uh, position or level since even before the uh, the Great Recession. It wasn't even as low as it is now uh, as it was in the, uh, the Great Recession. And at the same time, we have a labor market that has the lowest unemployment rate in like 40 or 50 years. And if somebody wants to find a job, they can find a job. Uh, we have an auto industry, for example. Uh, 18 months ago, we were selling at an annual rate of 18 million. They're now selling at an annual rate of 12. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, 12 would be the uh, would be a recession. Uh, one last piece. I know this is getting into the the data, but what we had in the first quarter of the year, GDP declined, which is our broadest measure of how well the economy is doing. And a, a particular model at the St. Louis at the Atlanta Fed, which bases its uh, estimate on data that have already come out this quarter, expects the GDP will not grow this quarter. It will grow at zero. So you're going to actually have two quarters of in a row where the economy has not grown with unemployment at three point some percent, which with inflation at a 40 year high mortgages at a 15 year high mm-hmm. after a it's just one of the oddest economies I've ever seen in my 40 years of doing this mm-hmm. to to the average to the average American who's listening to this program this evening. Do you uh what is their future like? Paint a picture, a, a realistic picture 
of what their future uh, is like. Well, the one thing is, you know, unemployment affects those who are unemployed. And, and, and I think that unemployment is a horrible thing because it has both an economic cost and it has a personal cost. It, it costs the person and that household quite dramatically. Sure. But inflation costs everybody. Inflation affects every single person. If the Fed does not get inflation under control, uh, everybody's uh, near-term future is quite bleak. Almost no matter what you get in terms of raises, it's going to be eaten alive by uh, by inflation. We got at the university our first raise in two years this past January. That's long gone. We got a 2% raise. That money's long gone. Uh, to most people, they're down almost 10% over the past year. And so uh, people, if you look at how do they feel about how they're doing right now, it's actually not too bad. People, you know, mm -hmm. I'm employed. People are employed. And when they ask the when they ask the question, "How are you doing?" they generally say they're doing okay. But when they ask, "How are you going to be doing in the near future?" and "How are your friends doing?" they have much more um, sanguine look outlook that the economy's not doing well. Hmm. Um, the Fed has got to get this under control, and and I think that they can. I think that some of the the problems with inflation have I know no one wants to use that word anymore that they mm -hmm. were transitory or temporary. I do believe, in fact, that some of the inflation was actually uh, transitory. Mm -hmm. um, but we also need to make sure that um, the government, in a sense, does not go off on any craziness in terms of trying to spend money it does not have during an economy that's already at full employment. That is a that's a recipe for further inflation. One more question mm -hmm. to you, and then I want to hear from our guests in studio. Uh, you're you're an economist. Uh, you're a Republican. You said I can identify you tonight as a Republican. Mm -hmm. Sure. From a political standpoint, step back and and if you will, give us give us a professorial, objective view of how devastating is this economy, the economic conditions that you've just described. How mm -hmm. devastating, if it's devastating at all, to the Democratic Party. Well, you know, I once told you the very first time I was on the show, I said I'm a, 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 an economist first and a Republican second. <laughs> but I can do that. I can do exactly what you're saying. And I think I'm being actually objective. Uh, one thing we do know for some research, people watch a particular price and that price has an, an over uh, it. It's overemphasized by the public, but that's what the public does. And that's the price of gasoline. And when the price of gasoline is very, very high as it is now, people become very upset. Their consumer confidence falls. There's no indication that the price of gasoline will be falling between now and November dramatically, other than the, the summer driving period will go away. But there's, there's not a lot of supply that's going to be coming on hand. So what we have found in the past is that the political costs of inflation, which, like I say, affects everyone, when combined with something like um, the the cost of uh, political cost of high gasoline prices, and then people becoming upset that they can't get their hands on uh, automobiles, for example, either new or used because mm -hmm. they've gone up so dramatically in price, uh, this does not bode well at all for Mr. Biden. I would not want to be in his position. And if if I could add one more piece, if sometime during the next quarter or two. The economy does tip into recession, mm. which I don't I don't believe it's there yet because unemployment is simply too low. Uh, but if unemployment all of a sudden begins to rise, say, over the next couple of months and we tip into recession, 
I don't think that Mr. Biden has a prayer to keep any kind of control in terms of the Senate or the House. Okay. Our card-carrying Democrat is Patrick Hanley. <laughs> Uh, Patrick, give, give us a give us a short version of reaction because then we're going to go to a break and uh, we'll get Bruno in the conversation. Professor, I, I I hear you and I frankly I agree. It's a tough time to be a Democrat when you look at macroeconomic economic issues like this. I do think that a large amount of this comes from the geopolitical turmoil happening in Ukraine and Europe. Uh, I just got back from a factory visit in Portugal where energy prices are 3x what they were two years ago. Mm -hmm. So while they're bad here, they were, they're worse in Europe, and we're weathering the storm as well we can. Okay, we've got a pause. When we come back, we'll hear from Bruno Barron, the Libertarian Perspective. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8289. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. Hello. You know, these days, I'm often quoted as saying, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. People forget that I was the first technology president using the telegraph, T-mails as I like to call them, to communicate with my generals. Well, today, we are fighting a cybersecurity war, and our best defense is for folks to follow some of these tips when they're online. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Hover your cursor over links to determine the true web address. Look for misspellings and poor grammar, which are warning signs of fraud. Be suspicious of emails requesting urgent action and never give away sensitive personal information. With malware for none, with cyber protection for all, this is your humble servant, Abraham Lincoln. The central and midwestern U.S. averages more than 850 tornadoes each year. And lately, the number of floods has been rising in the region, too. So chances are, there will be more twisters and floods near here again. And between school, sports, and social lives, chances are, you won't be with your kids when it happens. Will they know what to do? Ready.gov kids has all the educational tools and information to make the conversation easy. When the time comes, chances are, they'll feel prepared, not scared. So talk with your family today. back on Beyond the Beltway, and that uh, picture that we're using for those who are watching us on the video uh, is a picture of my father. I really don't have many pictures of my father who passed away in 1976, but uh, uh, someone a couple of weeks ago sent me the picture, which I remembered, and uh, it, it's uh, the, the picture which uh, Fritz will hopefully put up right now to, to share. That picture is about 74 years old. Because oh. I just celebrated my birthday yesterday, and I look like I'm about maybe four or possibly five in that picture. But I was a, a towhead, and that was my dad, <laughs> who, uh, who was a terrific guy, and I miss him a great deal. Mm. Uh, let's come back to our conversation. Bruno Barrett, we haven't heard your voice yet, but again, your fans are out there. What's your overall assessment of what Mike Miller had to say and uh, the economy and all things related to the economy and inflation? Uh, I think the economy is... On the precipice, I, I, the the idea I have is a, the those old Looney Tunes cartoons where the road, you know, the, he's chasing the road, the coyotes chasing the roadrunner, and he goes over the cliff, and then he realizes he's going over the cliff, and he stops, and he looks down, and he's not hasn't fallen yet, and then all of a sudden he goes, <laughs> and drops. I mean, 
I can't see how this doesn't start snowballing really badly um, pretty soon. And yeah, because the confidence is down and then the consumer spending goes down and there's less money to spend because wages aren't wage increases aren't covering inflation increases. Um, You know, I'm relatively well to do. I don't I'm not hurting when I pull up to the pump, but I'm probably you know, I don't know if I'm a, I'm in the I'm I'm in the top five percent, but we're you know a household we're probably in the top ten percent easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guy who the guy who's got a pickup truck and is mowing lawns for a living or doing something like that, um, the the guy who's a small independent contractor, someone who's a contractor who's you know has to fill up his pickup truck every week to go and do all kinds of different work, um, the, the small entrepreneur, all these people are going to be hurting, and they're going they're paying more for everything. They're certainly paying more for gas. And sooner or later, that's going to hit consumer spending. And when consumer spending gets hit, everything else is going to get hit. What is the next? I want to go back to you, uh, Patrick. What are the next things that uh, that are going to happen if if all of these things happen, and things appear to be getting worse and worse for a broader number of people who are not in the top ten percent, like like Bruno? Mm-hmm. Um, is there potential violence? In the country, I mean, what what mm-hmm. happens when millions or tens of millions of people uh, see their their lives so dramatically changed by their ability uh, to keep up with the Joneses? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be a little more optimistic than that. I don't know that we're off the cliff, and I would say, as I think the professor alluded to earlier, there's still demand in the economy, which is interesting considering the price rises. There's still very low unemployment. And the rest of the world is not looking good. And so we are the flight to safety currency and the flight to safety market. So there's going to be a lot of foreign investment to safe harbor in the United States. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. But what I want to emphasize as the Democrat on the show is that we're the party that is doing something about it. In Illinois, J.V. Pritzker is raising, is lifting the gas tax for the next year. Biden has already reached out to refiners, asking them to ramp up production. And he's reaching out to the South uh, crown prince to ask them to increase production. We're doing everything that we can across the board to lower prices for the American consumer. But frankly, I think in the midterm, the American economy, the fundamentals, to quote John McCain, uh, are, are looking OK. How do you. I, oh, my. Wow. <laughs> I, I, You're shocked. You're shocked. OK. I mean, I, I was fine until he had that last comment that things are looking OK. I. Um, uh, Bruno, I, I, I've, uh, the Fed, for example, is not forecasting an inflation uh, a recession, and um, of course, I, they're they're pretty decent forecasters. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, one of the particular uh, banks in Chicago. I'm not going to say which one. I get their their newsletter. They're not calling for a recession soon, uh, but there's no doubt that I know that Europe is in trouble. Uh, but uh, the rate of inflation in Europe is about half. And this is not all due to uh, Mr. Putin. This is not Mr. Putin's inflation. Uh, inflation is affecting every single category of good. There is not a single one year over year that has either remained flat or gone down. So everything that we go to buy is costing more than it did before. And so uh, this, again, all of these things, um, if the, and keep in mind one more thing. Uh, we now have the highest mortgage rates we've had in 15 years. Mm-hmm. The Fed still is going to increase interest rates a half percent twice, uh, two more times in the next couple of months to try to to get the interest rate into what they call neutral territory. So we're not even done with the increases in the cost of, of borrowing. 
Do you feel so, uh, you, Bruno? Mike, if anything is going to push us into that recession, I, there is a chance that that you would see a complete collapse of the housing market of of automobiles, of uh, large items. By the way, furniture is already down. So when you have cars are already down and furniture, those are two out of three of what we call the the durable goods that are. Uh, that port uh, that foretell how well the economy is doing both of those are already down retail sales until we're doing fine mm -hmm. until a month ago and, and how and much of that all is of a sudden retail sales have stalled mm -hmm. and Bru so we're Bruno, we're, Bruno. we're seeing like i, I bruno I, that was a pretty good I, I happen to be also a very big warner brothers cartoon fan that's a pretty good thing that we we thought we were doing okay and now we look below us and and what we thought was there appears to be uh, dissipating. Well, and I was so I was watching some YouTube video this morning, and it was uh, somebody interviewing Ray Dalio, and he was talking mm -hmm. about his book and some of the stuff that uh, he was going on in there. So, for example, right now, everything went from you know what was happening a few months ago or a year ago was a lot of wages going up, a lot of people doing things so that they could because mm -hmm. um, they were making more money, and all of a sudden, savings growth plummeted. We're now drawing down savings, and credit mm -hmm. card debt is climbing dramatically. So. That that's an example yep. of a levitating consumer, and that that's going to yeah. stop. Um, we're already seeing. Uh, we have friends that uh, want to put their house on the market, and mm -hmm. you know everything was hot and everything was looking really good until about six months ago, and now all of a sudden yeah. you're seeing all of this. Right. Everybody's trying to get in while they still can, and they're probably already too late. They're not going to be able to sell those houses, and they're mm -hmm. certainly not going to get the prices they want. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff happening with the economy, and 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 incidentally. It, that's right. I, I would love to see the Democrats take the biggest bath possible in November, but not at the expense of the American consumer and not at the expense of uh, the American culture right. and people's livelihood. So I'm not I'm not cheerleading for a recession. I don't want one to happen. Mm. Um, and maybe we won't go into one. But I think all kinds of rough stuff is going to come down the pike, especially when we start seeing international things like food shortages. Mm -hmm. um, if you're following stuff like the canary in the coal mine in Sri Lanka uh, the Chinese economy, various different things. We're, much, we're coming in for a world of hurt. How, mm -hmm. how much of what we are yep. suffering in the United States, and this question to Patrick Hanley, how much of the problems we're suffering in the United States can be traced to things beyond our control, mm -hmm. beyond our borders, whether it's Sri Lanka or whether it's the uh, war in Ukraine or whether yep. it's uh, China? Yeah. Professor, earlier you mentioned the supply chain problems that we've had throughout the pandemic. Those are still very, very real. You know, I work in a, a retail company. We sell bedding, mm -hmm. pajamas, sleepwear. We produce in China. We produce in Europe. We sell mm -hmm. in the United States. And across the board, costs have been rising. That is that is certainly true. Uh, and I, I guess I just have to reiterate my point that Elsewhere in the world, things are much more uncertain than they are here and that the American consumer is still spending uh, more so than we're seeing elsewhere. And so I, I just don't see I don't see this level of concern that I think you guys do. Well, I guess I'd only add the consumer has been spending as yeah. much. Yeah. Bruno's point is and I think he makes a good point is that we seem to be in a uh, like a peak where we're, we're in a in a change in behavior mm. and uh, to see all of a sudden cars come, fall off the way they have that retail sales. Not only were they negative in the past month, they they uh, revised downward the positive number from the month before, because as in more information comes in, it, it, it is a very uh, Patrick, it's a very re, uh, recent thing. It is not something that has existed for a long time, Mike, but it is very worrisome. What is happening? A question to you. Um, 
the way in which the news media is reporting on the economy, is their reporting accurate in your view? You've been very critical of the media in the past, Mike. But is their reporting, uh, is it alarmist or is it accurate? Um, wow. You know, I, I try to avoid some of the, I, I read the financial press. I don't uh, watch the evening news about what I do here. The, the reporting is, is um, it's not alarmist. I mean, it, it, things are a mess. Uh, uh, and uh, I guess some of the analysis, though, I hear, you know, in, in some case, I, I think that the press does not want this to be as bad as, as it uh, could be. Uh, because it will have negative consequences for the uh, sitting president. And I agree completely with Bruno. I do not wish for, for bad times. In fact, I wish everything would, would turn around. The economy would all of a sudden get stronger, that inflation would begin to fall because it would be good for Americans. And, and I don't care what happens then with the politics of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have, to be, I have to look at the numbers, and uh, the numbers are concerning. It, 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 the other thing we see, for example – uh, diesel prices have really gone crazy. I have mm-hmm. a, a tractor that requires a, a diesel a diesel fuel. I've never had to buy it before. But, you know, those prices of diesel are going to have to go into the shipping costs, which are then going to mm-hmm. be passed on to you and me. So, unfortunately, between some housing issues in terms of what rents are going to do, plus what's been happening with the energy, which is going to filter down through the economy, yeah. uh, it is the opinion of many, I think, respectable economists that inflation is not over yet. It has not peaked. And I was hoping that it had, but it does appears that it has not peaked. Mm-hmm. And it may not peak until later this year, maybe September or something like that. Patrick but by then, there a lot of damage will have been done to the to the uh, pocketbooks of Americans. No, that, that's certainly true. I agree. But as you say, as mortgage prices rise, so too will house prices likely fall. Uh, energy yeah. costs have everything to do with geopolitical uncertainty, and we'll see what happens in Europe. Ten percent of global production is being taken offline, potentially, uh, by boycotts mm-hmm. of Russia. Uh, and then, yeah. as you say, the price of diesel is rising because of refinery costs. And that has a lot oh, to do I, with price yeah. gouging. When we come back, the president is on his way to Saudi Arabia in the next couple of weeks. Uh, is that a good idea or bad idea? And what should he ask for? Back shortly. Turn up the radio and discover all that Illinois has to offer. Find your road trip at enjoyillinois.com.
Bruce Dumont back. Happy Juneteenth in addition to Happy Father's Day for those who are really excited about our new federal holiday. Uh, in studio, we have Patrick Hanley and Bruno Barron. Mike Miller joins us from afar in his new home in Bellingham, Washington. We're going to take a moment now and let everybody take uh, maybe 20 seconds and uh, introduce themselves further other than their uh, political affiliation. We'll begin with Bruno Barron. Bruno? Uh, so my name is Bruno Barron. Uh, I'm a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute. I've uh, worked with them uh, full-time at times on education reform. Uh, I'm, uh, I will do speaking engagements on education reform. I'm kind of a, um, I've done political consulting for some candidates here in uh, Illinois. Uh, and uh, right now I'm working for an organization that is uh, very similar to Habitat for Humanity. And we're trying to take a town north of the city and turn it from 70% uh, rental, 30% ownership to 70% ownership by um, building them houses on a Habitat kind of model. Okay. And for those who are longtime listeners to this program, because you've shared this story, uh, it's a happy Father's Day to you because a few months ago you were a little worried about whether there would be a Father's Day for you because you had a very serious. Well, that was about that was about a motorcycle. year ago. To, that was it wasn't motorcycle. It was a bicycle. Bicycle. It was a uh, that was a June twelfth last year. Wow! But you were at death's door. No, wow. no, it, I, I was never really at death's door. What I what did I was you get scraped at all? I got I, I got pretty beat am up. Am I overstating? <laughs> yeah, well, you're, this is what you're not. This is what you're not. You're overstating that I was at death's door, but you okay. are not overstating. The fact that I went, I, I, I went, I landed on my head going over my handlebars on my bicycle <sighs> without a helmet. And um, I put up a Facebook post saying, wear a helmet. And I was, it had pictures of me in the hospital and with my eye, my, my left side of my face completely black and blue. But fortunately, I didn't even end up with a concussion because I was going so fast that I actually did a full roll and ended up standing on, I ended up standing up holding my bike in one hand, but I did, I, I avoided a traumatic brain injury just through luck. Wow. Okay. Glad you're well, okay. I, I would throw my devastating description of your health, okay. although it sounds pretty bad. Uh, Patrick Hanley, <laughs> to you. Tough to follow. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, my name is Patrick Hanley. I live in Winnetka, Illinois with my wife. Uh, I work with her at a company she founded called Piglet in Bed. We sell uh, pajamas, bedding, homeware, sleepwear. You can find us at pigletinbed.com. Uh, before that, I was a management consultant at McKinsey, and I hold an MBA and an MPP from the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Mike Miller from uh, Bellingham, Washington now joins us. Tell us about yeah. your background. I'm an economist at the at DePaul in Chicago, uh, and uh, I want to publicly thank the university has been very sweet in uh, allowing me to teach online. I'll be coming up on retirement uh, in about a year, and they're allowing me to teach online, and so I get to teach, and I get to do uh, media work with uh, uh, some of the local stations and so forth, and uh, so it's, uh, and talking up like this show, talking about the yeah. economy. That's what I love to do. One of our favorite guests, and also we have lots of phone callers on the line. We've triggered the phone calls this evening. Let's go to John listening to us in McHenry County, Illinois, not far from where we do this program. Go ahead, John. Yes, I. Uh, uh, happy Father's Day to all. And uh, you. Bruno, your uh, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes Roadrunner cartoon resonate. I think that's why the phone lines lit up. <laughs> and, you know, especially I feel like <laughs> as we're falling off that cliff, I think that little poof at the bottom that you usually see on those cartoons is going to hit all of us here. I have to take exception with what was being said earlier about what uh, the Biden administration is doing or trying to do. Um, like, with, for instance, uh, Bruner brought up independent contractors, and this week the Department of Labor, starting on Friday, is still selling a lie pressed by the unions to that 
they that most independent contractors are working misclassified, and that is just completely false. And any 1099 workers, and they number around 59 million across the country, are at risk of having their livelihoods cut off, like in the state of California with the AB5 law. And this is just one of many instances where we're trying to get the economy and inflation behind us. John, what, John explain for just a second, what, what, is the, what is the AB5 law in California for those that don't know? Very briefly, it's the, the state of California tried to go after the Uber drivers and the Lyft drivers, the app-based businesses, yeah. by reclassifying them as employees under a very strict test called the ABC test, which was developed in depression era factory workers because the gig economy is so unique and fluid many people who choose to be independent contractors lost their livelihood it wasn't just app-based drivers like instacart and and, and uh, dashers it was also freelance artists freelance writers i mean even uh, willie brown the former speaker and former mayor of san francisco almost lost his livelihood until they did a patch to fix it now the democrats are spreading this across the country under Secretary Marty Walsh. So th briefly, that's what that's about. And that same rule, the ABC test, is being pushed because the Biden administration suffered a court setback in March, okay. and they had to implement the Trump uh, rules for classification under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Let's just take a, breath, take a breath. You've described it. Now, Mike Miller, you want to uh, tackle the question? Well, I'll say the following. That one thing that the federal government should do is try to stay out of the way in terms of allowing capitalism to flourish because capitalism is the greatest engine of economic growth that we, we could have anywhere in the world. And one thing he has to recognize, and Bruno would uh, like this in terms of libertarian and free market thinkers like uh, Hayek and Mises and Israel Kirzner, these people said they, the driving force in capitalism in an economy like ours is entrepreneurship, the ability of people to create new ideas, to take risks and to create new businesses and do things in different ways that meet the needs of the consumer. Anytime the government gets in the way of these for, for whoever they're trying to protect or whatever, they're going to lower economic growth. And so I think the caller is onto something here. This is, uh, this is a mistake on the part of the government to be trying to regulate it this way. From John in McHenry, Illinois, we go to Dave listening to us in Washington State. Go ahead, Dave. Dave, are you there? Dave? Hello. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. You're on the air. Okay. Uh, well, as far as recession and inflation, I truly believe that we are going to be in recession by the end of this quarter. And if not, the next two quarters are going to show the definition of a, of a recession. But really the definition and being in a, in a quote-unquote uh, you know, defined recession is sort of beyond the point. It's how people feel. And people already feel like they're in a recession. Uh, and I think that the biggest thing we're going to have you know, coming – well, the, the reason we've got all this inflation, another issue you guys were talking about, I 100% am in the camp that the more, majority of the reason we've got this inflation is demand cause, not supply cause. It's demand because when you stuff people's pockets with more money in many cases than they were making when they lost their jobs, and in a lot of cases, like myself and my wife, who never lost jobs but still got money from the government, you're, you're creating such a demand hoard. This is one of the first major issues that we've come out of in a country, whether COVID or any kind of a job loss scenario, where the actual family household savings mm -hmm. went up 
they didn't have to draw down their savings. They mm-hmm. actually went up because the government put so much money. And that demand is driving the supply shortage problem. I want to get other than you know having their crazy. I want to get a reaction from Patrick Hanley. Patrick, do you Dave, agree with what Dave is doing? It's it's always a pleasure to hear from you, Dave. I I disagree slightly, and I'd like to hear Mike's view on this too. The way that I see it is that the government did a good job in making sure that families were above water throughout the pandemic, despite staying home, despite losing their jobs. Folks, you're right. Poverty was cut, I think, by 40 percent. Child poverty cut in half uh, throughout the pandemic. And now what we've seen is due to supply chain problems, labor shortages and mismatch in forecasting by companies, we do have these rising costs, in addition to the geopolitical stuff that I mentioned earlier. So we we face a perfect storm, but I don't know that giving folks on the lower end of the income spectrum uh, uh, access to capital was the reason why. And it's not the lesson that we should learn. Bruno shaking his head I, no. Well, first of all, I, I think there's there there were, was at least a muted debate. There certainly wasn't. It wasn't a covered debate when they were going through the $1.9 last COVID round. But the that last COVID the last round of COVID funding was unnecessary. Uh, it would still be interesting to track where it all went and who got it. Um, I think it's it, it, what's so annoying to me in listening to all this is that there's a whole bunch of us at a at like call it the ten percent and above level, which operates at the level of the cultural elite, the mm. media. We all watch. We all read the Wall Street Journal or the or the New York Times editorial page, and we all watch the same news stations. And we have no clue, or we don't want to have a clue, about all the things that are going on for the people who might be below that or, or by two or three uh, quintiles. And so the working poor uh, and the, the people who are struggling are absolutely being crushed by this stuff, whether they got a little spliff from the government or not, while, uh, while piles of that uh, $1.9 trillion ended up in pockets of uh, the, the, the amount of money that goes into municipal governments, that goes into the school districts, all of which does nothing but to flood with cash people who are already exceedingly cash-rich, particularly America's public employees in education and higher, in public education and higher education. So you, you have all of this stuff flooding the economy. Clearly, clearly that's what's driving this inflation right now. You know what's flooding the economy is the $400 billion made by the richest five people in the last two years. Yeah, they yeah, they all they all, they, they all benefited uh, from this that too, but that doesn't that that's not the issue. They benefited the, an enormous amount. Mike, no, go, ahead. go ahead, Mike. And to Dave's point, I think he I think Dave slightly underestimates the importance of the supply side. Just the containers to try to get a container from China to hear yeah. what it costs to get a single container uh, dramatically raised the uh, the cost of transportation and so forth. Yeah. But what we had during the when the government came up, I agree with Bruno that 1.9, when unemployment was already way low to begin with, was a mistake. But the compounding mistake was that the Federal Reserve hmm. essentially bought up all of that, which means they printed money to fund this deficit spending. Hmm. And that money now is what is fueling the inflation. So they kind of it's almost like the, you'd think that the federal government and the Federal Reserve would kind of work in together to try to have a policy to make the economy stay near full employment with stable prices. But when the government spends a bunch of money it really does not have, and it it forces the Fed to try to keep interest rates low to keep employment uh, where it was, you're going to end up with what we have now, which is this this inflation being fed by this explosion in the money supply. We've got so a pause. I'm somewhat blaming the Fed on this. We've got a pause, one 800 723 8289. Happy Father's Day. I'm Bruce Dumont. 
Sam is precise. No margin for error. Dare to forget that. Dare to have fun with it. Get weird with it. Dare to send those old STEM theories flying past the neighbor's house into outer space. Dare to program something internet-breaking, record-breaking. Dare to blow their minds. Dare to learn the difference between sedimentary and metamorphic rock. Go find those rocks. Dare to keep daring. Dare to STEM. Check out She Can STEM to get started. With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug in to the present. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, should, uh, I mentioned that in the next hour we're going to be joined by Gary Abernathy. Uh, he's been a guest on this program. He writes Abernathy Road. He's a columnist for the Washington Post, and he's got some very strong opinions on the news media and what they learned or did not learn with the Trump victory in 2016 and how they've misread a lot of what's going on in the country. And also Greg Ballard, who is a Republican, who is the former mayor of Indianapolis, Indiana. They will join us in the next hour, and uh, Mike Miller will go out to uh, Chopping Wood. Uh, but we do appreciate mm -hmm. his participation this evening. During the break, I just want to bring everybody in. There was a good debate going on between <laughs> Bruno and Patrick about uh, the rich and the super rich and uh, who's rich and... Uh, you were you were singing the praises of the rich, Bruno. So I'm going to let you sing them on the air. What I what I was saying was that the this this democratic talking point, which is aged way way aged out, it might have been worked in the 80s and 90s. That there's so many that all the rich people and the 400 people or the five richest people who have all this money and how much they got of the 1.9 trillion and all that stuff. I, almost all the super rich these days are progressives, and and that they're not even liberals they're progressives there are some super rich that are still republicans and the rich are going to fund what it is they can fund uh clearly mark zuckerberg and the people who run google they've made their choice of what they want to who they want to back and how they back it and they've definitely played in politics so i, I think this whole thing that you know that it's it, that oh the rich are getting richer well it's like of course the rich are getting richer the, the interesting thing in talking about ray dalio that i just saw this youtube video of and, and this is where I chide my, and it's one of the reasons why I've become more of a social conservative and a little bit less of a libertarian, is this whole thing about income inequality in this country yeah. is, is getting pretty bad. And the libertarians' yeah. uh, argument that, oh, just let that happen because no, it doesn't really matter. It's like, no, it does matter. It, it, it matters in terms of who gets access to baby formula, who, gets, yeah. who, who riots, want, who doesn't riot, and all that stuff. Let's sure. let uh, Patrick give the other side of the story. No, 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 Bruno, I was about to agree with you. I'm glad that you've come over to finally see the light. Income inequality is one of the worst things that is happening to this country right and now. And progressives are that driving it. That is the cancer it. that is metastasizing in our economy. And progressives are driving it. It is not progressives it. because progressives want to reshape the economy to make it more fair, to flatten it. Whereas Republicans for the last 30 to 40 years have been creating the economy that we're now living in this is the reagan doctrine you got deregulation no. you got rich people and now you have you know this, why, this why are blacks and hispanics and the working poor moving over to the republican party because they're seeing that davos man and the the man like the the the, the macro management it's like with the progressive 
movement is trying to move away from consent of the governed and trying to have as many commissions and as many UN agencies and as many people running things that are essentially unelectable and un, and and uh, and uh, can't be managed by uh, senators and congressmen and governments anymore. Uh, they, they they even there's even talk all over the progressive universe about moving away from national sovereignty and we want to have all these oh, other agencies on. run things. And that, yet Republicans that's all are the ones that are stopping folks from voting, and Democrats are the ones putting legislation on the board to help more oh, people get involved in politics. I haven't seen Republicans stopping anybody from voting. I know that I know that's that you amazing. guys have your talking points about the Georgia bill, which is completely HB. wrong. One. Yeah, completely wrong. It, it didn't do that at all. And voting in the last Georgia, Georgian election went up, uh, including blacks and Hispanics. Yes, thank God. And yeah, and, and Hispanics in Texas are now voting for Republicans instead of Democrats. Senators. So the, it, it doesn't square to sit there and say all these top five rich people are doing uh, are, are all Republicans and they're evil rich and all this other stuff. It, it, it's not so much the rich versus the poor as it is the establishment versus everybody else and the establishment we have seen this in covid and we've seen it since covid the establishment is playing its own game they're doing everything that they want to do and and they right. and gas prices don't they don't care about gas Bruno, prices they I don't think, care about inflation i think i think guys, we agree mike miller weigh in okay. weigh oh in no uh, bruno's doing too well <laughs> i uh, i support much of, of of what bruno says and we got to remember i'll add one more thing here it, it seems like one thing that progressives look at the distribution of income and they don't ask the fundamental question, why is there, why are the rich becoming richer? Do they, are they taking risk and doing things that will earn them money? No. And maybe asking, why are some of the poor people poor? Is it because they make horrible life decisions oh, to quit school and so forth? Unbelievable. But why don't we try to bring the bottom up as opposed to bring the top down? Why don't we have policies that we're trying to it, to make clear to people? So I take it, Patrick, you don't believe that people make bad decisions on on, on Mike, their lives. Mike, Patrick, raising the bottom, raising and, the bottom so is the democratic that platform. That is what Democrats want to do. When I, we talk about workers' rights, when well, we talk so about minimum I. wage, what, what, we are I'm working sure on Bruno folks. We are yeah. working on raising that bottom. Where the rich folks get their cash, friends, is rent. It is charging rent on various assets that they own. And you, Mike, as an economist, know that. I recently graduated from Chicago Booth. W Chicago Booth, the land of libertarian economics, the land of Milton Friedman, where professors the, on the faculty have done a 180 recognizing that wealth in the last 20 years has come from rent and market power. And, and so there's a, something to do about that. First of all, you yes. can't take the, anything that takes away that like uh, by, by government fiat that takes away that rent and market power isn't going to solve the problem. And redistribution, there, there are some aspects of redistribution that might work. And that's yeah. the conversation you can have with a rational liberal. Yeah. But there is no rational progressive. They're, they're the, the irrational progressives want to bring everything down. They're the ones that are saying, we have to get rid of capitalism. We have to get rid right. of uh, consent of the governed. We have to, nope. you know, they say they want to get people to the voting booth, nope. but they're more than happy to make sure that the other side doesn't vote so that they can Bruno, win votes. I'm a progressive, and my answer to this is more competition with fairer rules. I think you're taking the word progressive and you're basketing all the things you don't like about Democrats into that word, and that's just not true. No, I, I well, think maybe we, then we should use the word leftist. I, that's I, every, no, hey, I'm, I'm hey, just touched. They really like fair. So I, 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 maybe Patrick, really, you're not a, a progressive. Maybe you're a liberal. Yeah, and and I have great respect for liberal thought, and I've had great debates with my liberal friends. I just cannot talk to 
leftists because yeah. they hate everything about capitalism. They hate everything about individual responsibility. Yeah. They they what love everything about government Cancel culture, control, free speech. And those Patrick, are things I can't support. Wait a minute, Patrick, what label do you want? It would take me too long. I, I think of progressivism in a different way than you guys do. I think of progressivism as folks who see the system the way that it is, want to change it to make it fairer for folks. But I do. I fundamentally am a liberal, uh, Mike. So I, I okay, hear you saying. I like that. And I, I'm skeptical and I, of a lot of left ideas. And the only problem when you say fair, I, I bet we could take 50 Americans and we would get 50 different definitions of what fair is. <laughs> well, uh, I don't possibly. know how you impose fairness well, on the system. Well, let me just say something. That's that why you should simply have a set of rules whatever. that we all live by and we should all be under exactly uh, – that we're all treated the same under the same uh, legal system. Fair well, I don't rules. believe that that's true. I think that – for example, the way that okay. uh, that the We've people, the interrupt. elite, are treated, like Mike, Hunter we Biden, got, we got it. We, and Mike, the way Mike, I would be treated Mike, if I lied Mike, on a gun got, form, I think it's, you know, Okay, we made it through forms. the first hour, the first mention of Hunter Biden. Mike Miller, thanks for joining us. We'll be back for another full hour. Back. Roll over. Chance high five. All right. When you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique. And your mother and... Her. I am totally a hot person. Right, guys? Thanks for being honest. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, Tuscaloosa. All major cities to feel the destruction caused by a direct hit from a tornado. Is Chicago next? It's not a question of if, but when, and the clock is ticking. Learn what to do now at ready.illinois.gov to become Tornado Ready. back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. We continue with Patrick Hanley and uh, Bruno Barron in studio with me uh, at the AM560 studios in beautiful Elk Grove Village, but we are joined via Zoom. Gary Abernathy joins us. He is a columnist for the Washington Post. He writes the Abernathy Road. He was with us a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Ohio politics, and Greg Ballard joins us. He's become a frequent guest on this program. He's the former mayor of Indianapolis, Indiana, where he spent some time this uh, uh, past uh, month, I guess, spending a lot of time back uh, in Indiana. Uh, I want to begin because we went through the entire first hour, and uh, we didn't mention anything about the hearings. So I want to take just a few moments, and I'm going to start with you, Greg. I think you've said you sure. haven't, you have not watched a lot of the hearings. Bruno has right. said he has not watched a lot of the hearings. Patrick, I don't know whether to what extent you've watched them, but uh, Gary, you probably watched more than anybody else, and I think we've all watched the news coverage of it. Mm -hmm. So g give me, uh, a, as a Republican, what is your assessment of what you've seen or read about the hearings, Greg? Well, it, it looks like they're going over territory that is uh, widely known right now, which is okay, which is all right. I, I, I do think there's a, a part of this that has to be documented uh, for the record, if you will. I, I, I don't think it's going to change anybody's mind. It's not going to be like the Watergate hearings, as Gary wrote in the, one of his recent articles. I mean, we're going into it from a little bit different angle. Uh, but not going to change anybody's mind, but I think it's good to have it on the record. And 
will it have any impact uh, for a future election? I don't know. But right now, I, I, it seems like the, uh, the same thing that we already know. Gary Abernathy, your response. Well, I, I agree with all that. Um, I, I still think that Nancy Pelosi made a big mistake by refusing the Republicans that, that Kevin McCarthy wanted to put on the committee because, uh, yes, Jim Jordan would have would have caused a stir when it was his term to question, and, and it would have been a bit of a circus. Mm-hmm. But by denying that and, and then handpicking you know, uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, uh, the two Republicans who have long been enemies of Trump, right. it, it looks like a stacked deck. And yeah, I agree. It's it's been interesting. It's been riveting. Uh, the testimony that, that that came out about you know the things said about Mike Pence and his role mm-hmm. um, last week, uh, um, and, and really that just Mike did the right thing at every mm-hmm. step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've been saying that ever since that day happened. He deserves a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, they ended that hearing on a Thursday afternoon. I think it was with, uh, you know, Judge Ludwig mm-hmm. uh, basically just saying not only is Trump a danger to democracy, but basically the whole Republican Party mm-hmm. is a danger to democracy. Anybody who supports Trump, any of his allies, anyone that he might anoint if he's not on the ticket is going to be a danger to democracy. And, and you're talking now about millions of people accusing them mm-hmm. of that, millions of just hardworking Americans who might right. happen to still support Trump. I used to support him. I don't support him anymore because of mm-hmm. what he did post-election because of his refusal to accept the election mm-hmm. uh, results. But millions of people still do, and I respect their right to do that. And now they're being labeled by this committee as you know a danger to democracy. And that's where I think, Bruce, that they're going to go uh, you know a step too far Patrick, and lose a lot Pat- of lose a lot of credibility. Patrick Hanley, uh, your response? Did you watch much of the hearings at all? Yeah, I tried to watch. A good, I actually listened to a lot of it on the radio while driving, okay. which was good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree slightly with you on two points. First, I think Kevin McCarthy mi- missed a, a trip by not offering up more reasonable Republicans. He's abdicated the stage. I mean, he offered up Jim Jordan, who is possibly complicit in a lot of these crimes. But he could have come out and just said, you know, here are two, three folks who aren't Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, but also aren't part of the January 6th insurrection. And there could have been a reasonable Republican alternative on the committee. Now it's, you know, much more of a of a one party show. Um, And then I I would just disagree a little bit uh, about a point that was made earlier about not changing folks' minds. I saw a poll come out uh, by ABC News Ipsos saying that something like 58% of Americans now believe that Trump should face charges, criminal or civil, uh, based on what they've heard. So 58% is a lot more than you know the, the percentage of folks that voted for him either in 2016 or in 2020. Bruno Barron, your reaction? Well, 58, I mean, polls like that, you could, you could maybe it's true. I, I will say I did not watch any of the hearings. I read some articles about the hearings. Um, I uh, I will agree with uh, I, I will agree with uh, Gary from the Washington Post. Yes, that, uh, that um, once you uh, once you don't give the other side any kind of a gavel or hearing, and maybe McCarthy's a little bit complicit in that. I I don't mm-hmm. know, but the fact of the matter is, once you don't give them a hearing, and once you put people like Kinzinger and all that up. Why should you be taken seriously? I just looked at it and I said, this is a show trial. And what's sad about it is that, you know. I'm, I took a lot of heat because most of my Facebook friends are conservative and most of them are very, very strong, or a lot of them are Trump supporters. I don't know about most. Um, and they get on my case when I criticize Trump. And, uh, and I criticized Trump on January 6th. I said this was, mm-hmm. you know, 
Uh, insurrection, I, I, don't, I don't buy that word, but I can understand it if you use a dictionary definition and really stretch things, you can call it an insurrection if you want. But the fact of the matter is that nobody who was there should have been running around the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, of course, I'd still like to know why the Capitol was opened and why the Capitol Police completely lost uh, the, the, the capacity to do their job. That shouldn't have happened either. And there's some, I'd love to see an investigation into that, too. And that's maybe Tune what in. should have gone on at the uh, January 6th hearing. But regardless... I just saw it as a show trial, um, maybe being as one-sided as it was and covered as it is uh, by but most of the media and not by Fox, uh, that's gonna, that 58% might be there, and we'll see how long that 58% lasts. But one lasts. thing also, what Gary mentioned the point is, if, uh, if Nancy Pelosi had, had agreed that Jim Jordan and Jim Banks could have been added to that committee, um, everything that happened last week or the last couple of weeks would have happened. I think there would have been more coverage. Mm. There would have been higher ratings. Jim Jordan would have made it a more interesting show. And the Democrats would still be able to, 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 to use their influence to point fingers at Jim Jordan of, of not being a real fair, objective member of that committee. Just as people can say that Elizabeth, uh, that uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are not fair uh, arbiters of what happened. So well, I think I, I agree that I think she missed uh, she missed the opportunity by but by, by not giving them what they wanted, and uh, we have a situation where I don't think a lot of people have uh, you know the credibility of of listening and and watching that uh, even though it brought out I think a lot of significant stuff it reminded me of a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that I it either it, I yeah. either remembered it or I think Gary had touched on it 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 reminded me of how I felt. When I was watching it on television, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel good about it. Mm-hmm. The uh, and and Bruce, I'll add, you know a lot of uh, I don't know that there was a single piece of actual new news that's been broken by yeah. this committee. Uh, there have been additional details on things we already knew. There have been people talking about it in a new voice, and mm-hmm. some of the expanded comments from uh, Bill Barr, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but but you know we knew. When he was still in office, he told Trump, there's nothing to this fraud stuff. Right. And then uh, he wrote a book saying, elaborating on his comments. So that's all been interesting. But, but again, I, I think it's good to be reminded of all this. And, mm-hmm. I, and I do think that the, you know, whether you want to say insurrection, I, the word I don't use is coup, because right. I just think coup is a completely um, inappropriate word. You, Trump was already president. A, a coup replaces the person who's in charge with somebody else. Yeah. And so Trump couldn't have replaced himself. He was still in charge when for we, another, you know, what, two or three weeks beyond the uh, when beyond we, the riot at the Capitol. We've so got, a, we've, got we've got to pause. Uh, when we come back, I want to uh, I, w- I want to talk about to what extent was Mike Pence elevated in these hearings, and what does he do with? Bruce Dumont back on Father's Day 2022. Nice to have you with us. The uh, the Republicans who left the party because they didn't like Donald Trump. They thought he was rude, crude, and socially unattractive. And these are the people that voted for him that caused him to be pushed out of the office. Even though I know there's a lot of people listening to the program think the election was rigged. I'm going to put that debate aside for uh, just maybe the next uh, couple of decades. But what I want to say is the number of people 
who watched the hearings, even though I think the numbers were small, I think they were very small even for Republicans, the number of people who will be affected by these hearings are an additional number of people who think that Donald Trump is rude, crude, and socially unattractive. And then they have other reasons why they may not like Donald Trump because of the way he treated Mike Pence or whatever, or thinking that you know he should be indicted for something. And so I see all the numbers of being anti-Trump expanding. I don't see anything in these hearings that's bringing more votes to Donald Trump. Now, mm -hmm. it may exercise those that like Donald Trump, but I think those, those are the, they're already, they're, they're already true believers. And mm -hmm. I don't think that number is going to grow much. So at this particular moment, although I would say that I still think there's a chance that Donald Trump could win the Republican nomination absent anyone who's strong enough to take him on or an indictment that may come down. Um, I don't think there's enough votes out there for Donald Trump to, um, to defeat a Democrat whether it's Joe Biden again or someone else. Mm -hmm. Reaction from everybody else. Greg, your reaction to uh, that assessment? Yeah, I think that's uh, very accurate. I, I'm amazed that the, you know, the party doesn't get together and try to figure this out. But you know, the reason Trump got in there, he won so many primaries with uh, such a small uh, number, uh, small percentage uh, by each state because there were so many mm -hmm. uh, entrants into the uh, primaries. Mm -hmm. And I hope we go, don't do that again. I hope they would uh, winnow themselves down to two or three uh, to go against Trump if he does go forward. But I, I, I see no way that he wins a general election. I mean, I see no way at all because he's gaining, as you said, he's gaining nobody through this. He may be uh, making other people, hard, some his, his supporters, more hardcore. Mm -hmm. uh, what I don't want to do is make him a martyr. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that we'll, we'll overstep our bounds here and make him a martyr. And then he will gather more support. Gary, so, uh, Gary your response. Well, those are all very good points. Um, I agree with all of that, except that I will, you know, I'll say that a lot of it has to do with circumstances. I mean, people forgive a lot. Exactly. If they go right. to the polls, if in 20, if by 2024, the economy is pretty much, you know, where it's at today. And I don't think it will be. I hope it's not for the sake mm -hmm. of the country. I hope it's better. But people will vote their pocketbooks. And, you know, people might say, you know, I think Trump's a pretty terrible person. I think what he did was pretty terrible. But I also don't like paying five or six dollars a gallon for gas. And I don't like not being able to afford my grocery bill and uh, or heat my home. And things were a lot better under Trump. I'm telling you, that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. And also, even just in this last election, um, you know, we, we elect presidents by an electoral college not a popular vote, and uh, uh, a, a switch of just a little over 100,000 votes in yeah. three states would have ended up with Donald Trump winning mm -hmm. the last election. So is there and this not is, that unrealistic. This is, uh, we'll let Bruno and, and Patrick uh, tackle this one first. Uh, one, of the one of the words used to describe Mike Pence in the last week has been courageous, or courage has been used for that. And if you're looking for the antidote to Donald Trump, is there a better one than Mike Pence? I mean, he, he is the only one that has publicly said that Donald Trump is wrong. I don't think anyone else has suggested that. Uh, and now, uh, granted, maybe every boost by the media is just, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the kiss of death in a Republican primary. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people saying, you know what? 
this guy may be the guy. This guy may be the real deal. Okay. I mean, he, he was in a situation where he could have buckled, and he didn't buckle. So my question to you, Patrick Hanley, yeah. even though there's, you probably got a whole, you know, talking points about what a horrible guy <laughs> Mike Pence is. Sure. But speak to my point that is that at the moment he's the only one that's demonstrated yeah. uh, a level of integrity and standing up to mm. Donald Trump, and he is being applauded at least by the editorialists and many, you know, moderate or, or liberal Republicans for yeah. and sec- many Democrats for yeah. thirty seconds. Sure. No, I, I hear that. And I will I will take and agree with the caveat that there's plenty that I don't like and disagree with about Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say his actions around January 6th make him a patriot for sure and earns him a statue and a paragraph in a history book. And and we owe we all owe a debt of gratitude to Mike Pence for what he did and did not do on that day. Bruno, well, is that the kiss of death? Uh, no, I don't think it is at all. And I, I've always liked Mike Pence for what he stood for and you know you you look at Nikki Haley and you look at Ron DeSantis and you look at all these people and you say who can do this and who who can do that I think Gary once again uh was um closer to my view on this anyway and that is that we're I think we're all gaming this stuff out far too soon and we're yeah. being far too conventional in our thinking uh Donald Trump has proven at, at the very least that conventional thinking isn't really something he cares much about and uh and could i think he could win again i think he'd i'd rather he didn't run Mm. um so would pence be a strong candidate yes or no pence i think i think the democrats are so off the rails right now that the answer is yes pence would be a strong candidate the problem is there can be no two or three if there are if there are three people Mm. in the republican nomination process and trump is one of them trump is going to win because Mm. the vote is going to be split enough and and there's quite frankly, even if it's one on one, let's say you take a, a good brawler like DeSantis and DeSantis and Trump are going one on one. No one really runs against Donald Trump. It, it, you know, it's like the, the joke about the, the you don't wrestle with a pig because you, you end up in the mud and the pig likes it. Um, you don't beat Donald Trump that way. So there's a very, very narrow th- uh, thread that can be or that can be run through to, 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 to beat Donald Trump in the Republican nomination, which is why I hope he doesn't run. Hmm. And then, of course, you're going to get the big Republican clown show of 75 people in there again instead of the top three. Greg Ballard, back to you. You're the only one on this panel that I know of knows uh, Mike Pence well. How has the information that came out last week, how do you think it has affected Mike Pence and his wife and the whole family? Does Does it make them believe that maybe he is obligated to run? I wouldn't say that I, he's obligated to run. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think he's thinking that. I, I have no doubt in my mind that he wants to run. Uh, I'm. He's kind of patterned his entire political career for that for this opportunity, and I think that's why he was um, jumping at the chance to become the vice president and knowing what can, uh, knowing the visibility that would bring. He, he's politically ambitious. He's a wonderful guy. I've said on your show before. He's the, absolutely the nicest guy in politics. Uh, but uh, you know, I worry that he doesn't connect with the average person. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure he does, uh, but in the last last few weeks, he's been uh, his profile has certainly increased, and uh, and for good reason. Uh, his he's the uh, his father was in the army, his son's a marine, and I'm sure when he, his son became a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, uh, Mike Pence was there, and he and he heard the words of swearing to the Constitution of the United States. We all did that when we joined the Marine Corps, and I, and I, he takes that to heart, and. Uh, 
and he and he means it. Gary, so I, you're, I'm, I'm it's been a good couple of weeks. Gary, you're, I, you're, I, I, I'm just not sure he's got he's got the uh, wherewithal to take. All I see. The way. I see you nodding a little bit, Gary. Is there anything you disagree with what Greg just had to say? No, not no. I would just add, uh, you know, Pence has been walking a tightrope. He's he has said very clearly, I it was not 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 one person can't decide who's going to be president, and I could not do that. Mm -hmm. And that's very clear from the Constitution. Pence has said that many times. He he could not do what Trump wanted him to do, and yet Trump uh, Pence talks endlessly about how proud he was to be Donald Trump's vice president. Right. How he's proud of what they accomplished for four years. So it's not like he's totally throwing Trump under the bus, no. as I would argue Trump has done to Pence. Yeah. Um, so, and then when he's a, if you talk about him as a candidate, you got half the MAGA world, half the Trump world, gonna you know upset at Pence. They think yeah. Pence should have done exactly right. what Trump wanted him to do. So I don't know that he's got that big base of support yeah. uh, to run. And he's not going to get many people voting in a primary. In the primary. In the primary, there's not going to, there's not a big uh, population of Republicans uh, who fled the party because of Donald Trump uh, oh. wanting to come back and, and uh, you know, help Mike Pence. Because, again, too much of the stain of Donald Trump, mm -hmm. in their view, has already rubbed off on Mike Pence, and he, Mike Pence may have had a good day on January 6th, yeah. but, you know, he did oh, a lot he, of things he, before that. He will, it's he time will to be, call it. He will be absolutely, first of all, whoever the GOP nominee is, doesn't, it could be Ben Sass, it could be Mitt Romney, wow. Oh, wow. and they're going to be, and they're going to be called, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I'm just using two examples of yeah. non-Trump fans, right, or anti-Trumpers, so to speak. Uh, and and they will be called every name in the sun, and mm -hmm. they will be called fascists. And they, uh, who was the uh, uh, Gary already said this too. It's amazing that I'm agreeing with the Washington Post reporter three or four times on this show. But um, <laughs> the the interesting thing here is that um, you know they, they they've already uh, said Same everybody everybody who's right. Don't agree with me. Okay. Everybody Hello? who everybody who's in the Republican Party is anti-democratic. I mean, that, that's what this guy apparently said at, at, this, at this last hearing. I mean, that's insane. And it's mm -hmm. insane to say that, and that's how far off the rails they are. Um, but, you know, so... Well, that's so the new, that, again, that, that's the way the news media is also reporting what, uh, what he had to say. And when we come back, I want to hear from Gary uh, Abernathy, because he recently wrote a, a column about the lessons that the media did not learn from 2016 about Donald Trump, and we'll hear those thoughts when we get back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Happy Father's Day. Back. Uh, it is not only Father's Day, it's uh, Juneteenth. Patrick Hanley, how are you celebrating Juneteenth? 
there was a uh, there was a great event in Evanston actually that I was able to go to. Uh, Juneteenth is a great thing. I'm, I'm so glad that as a country we we're finally able to think about, commemorate, and celebrate the day when uh, slaves in Texas found out that they had been emancipated two and a half years earlier uh, in 1865. This is a it's a day for all of us to think about and reconcile with the fact of slavery, and and that's an important use of a, a federal holiday. Uh, Bruno, do you agree with that? Uh, sure. I mean, I. <laughs> Let, let me go. Yeah. You don't even great, even great as a Republican, <laughs> let me go on record as being anti-slavery, uh, as if anybody should have to these days or anything like that. But uh, uh, of course, uh, and I'm going to go to work tomorrow and get a couple of things done on a house, and then I think my wife is off, so I think we're going to go and take the rest of the day off and but play some golf. But that's June 20th. What about Juneteenth? Today's the day. Um, Father's Day. I enjoyed, well, I, my son still has to call me. Oh, 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 maybe oh. He, maybe he's maybe he's put him on blast on the okay. radio. Maybe he's listening and, and he'll someone will call him up and say, hey, call your dad, you jerk. You know, but <laughs> I, heard, I heard from my daughter a few hours ago. Good for you. Uh, Gary Abernathy, let's take a moment and let uh, you briefly uh, uh, introduce yourselves. And we'll do that with Greg Ballard as well. Uh, Gary. Well, thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm uh, uh, an Ohioan. Uh, lifelong Ohioan. I've lived many other places. I was a newspaper editor and publisher for many years. Also worked in Republican Party politics for many years, kind of went back and forth, took some detours. For the last five years, I've been a contributing columnist uh, for the Washington Post. One of the people they brought on after Donald Trump won in 2016 to expand their voices, uh, maybe from a part of the country or parts of the country they didn't feel maybe were being very well reflected. So in a nutshell, that's me, Bruce. Greg Ballard, tell us who you are. Yeah, I'm an Indianapolis native. I uh, joined the Marine Corps for 23 years after graduation from Indiana University. Came back home, and six years later, they elected me mayor. And I can't figure, still can't figure that one out, but they did. I'm happy that they did. So I spent eight years uh, elected not to go for a third term and, and uh, so forth. And uh, so I've been uh, doing some other nonprofit work uh, primarily for the last few years. And then a couple of years ago, we moved down here to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But and frankly, I'm anticipating moving back to Indiana mm -hmm. within the year. Welcome back to the Midwest. Very good. And Bruno Barron and Patrick Hanley introduced themselves uh, earlier uh, in the broadcast. Gary, I want to go back to you what I that I what I promoted before uh, the break, and that is uh, your recent uh, article about the national news media, the lessons they learned or did not learn following a 2016 Trump victory. You just referenced that uh, you know hiring you was an effort by at least the Washington Post to sort of expand their horizons uh, in a variety of ideological ways. Uh, but where else did they miss the boat? Yeah, and, and the Post did that, especially the Post opinion side. Mm -hmm. And there really is a, a big difference between the opinion side and the news side at the Post and at a lot of, I think, major newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, and and they, they hired several others, not just me, too, at the Post, by the way, to, to try to expand that, that uh, those voices. But if you recall, you know, after the 2016 election, we got a lot of stories from all across the media uh, looking inward, looking at how did we miss this? How did we not recognize what was going on in the country when Trump, you know, with Trump's victory and, mm -hmm. and how can they do better? And they needed to do better than just to occasional flyby or drop by into some of these places. And they wrote a lot about it. But aside from hiring a few extra opinion writers, 
I really think across the board, print, radio, television, especially television, they just didn't really change much. And now I see it actually getting worse, Bruce. I see I see a lot of correlation between this January 6th committee and the media in that both of them are kind of taking this tack lately of the Republican Party's kind of a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. I'm reading more and more articles about how the media, urging the media not to cover the Republican Party as a legitimate party anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a threat to democracy. It's an authoritarian party. Um, there's only one party that we should you know, give credence to, and that's the Democratic Party as, as, a, as a pro-democracy party. And the other party is very dangerous, and we should quit using this both-sider, they call it both-siderism. Mm-hmm. We should quit covering the old journal, we should quit using the old journalism uh, rules of, you know, covering this side and covering that side and covering them equally because the Republicans don't deserve that anymore. I think that's dangerous. I think it's just going to further alienate Americans from the media, conservative Americans in particular. And we need a strong media. My goodness, mm-hmm. we need truth tellers. Yeah. We need a, a, the fourth estate, as they call it. Uh, and if we just get driven further into yeah. our separate silos mm-hmm. in the media world, it's going to be dangerous, but that's well, what, what that yeah, kind of thinking leads to, in, in, in my opinion. In your, in your particular case, the Washington Post reached out and, and uh, they tried to expand their editorial base by bringing you uh, uh, into the tent. But the one thing that I've said on this program numerous times, I don't see any evidence that any of the major networks, and I would include MSNBC and, and CNN and, and Fox in this case, I don't see any uh, demonstration that they've changed uh, their act, and, and mm. I agree with you, in some cases it's gotten worse. Mm. NBC is considerably worse. ABC is considerably worse. And frankly, I just don't think CBS has the, you know, the, the impact that, uh, that they once did. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm wondering. Now I am ho- I am hopeful with this new CNN president, new yes. CNN boss, first going in there. He seems to to yes. recognize that and is making right. some changes. We'll see how that plays the out. The first the first signals. I think uh, I agree with you on that. But what I'm saying is, I don't know anyone who lost their job. Mm-hmm. If you were in the political uh, division of any of those networks, and you and you blew that 2016 election so badly. And you haven't done anything to sort of figure out how not to blow it again. I don't think anybody lost their job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't think of anybody that lost their job. So, uh, and and again, some of them have become emboldened, like like uh, like uh, uh, Chuck Todd, who I tend to pick on, just because I think he's one of the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he he. It's like he it's like he gets his marching orders from the Democratic Party every Sunday when he's planning that program. Patrick Hanley. You can I just make a quick comment? I, I think this is so fascinating, and I think about this stuff all the time, and, and your point about uh, individuals driving the decision-making at these networks, and I, I question that a little bit. Uh, don't you think, rather, it's the business incentives catering towards the extremes of the political spectrum that we see on social media uh, funneling its way up into mainstream media that isn't the driver of this? So it's not that new folks are going to change the way we cover things. It's it's the incentives of the ecosystem that we have, and we got to change find out a way to change the rules. I, I, let me just follow on that, Gary, really quickly and uh, before you answer the question. I, I think Patrick might be right about that, but I think one of the things that has to happen 
Um, my favorite, I, I think the new newspaper of record in the country is the Babylon Bee, because its, its <laughs> satire actually ends up being more accurate than many of the news uh, articles that are out there. And they'll do a satire, and then two weeks later, that satire actually ends up as a headline someplace else. And w- one of those is that you know New York Times outsources editorial staff to uh, pitch uh, mob with pitchforks. Um, it, w- somewhere, someone is going to, ha- and it looks like the story I'm talking about with the the recent joke thing that happened at the Washington Post. Somebody finally got smart, and somebody just has to tell the world that the eight percent of the most annoying. Um, poop-flinging howler monkeys on Twitter do not make up the majority of the United States, and someone just has to tell them, shut up, you're not welcome here anymore, and you're the people who are messing this up. And that goes for the far-right crazies as much as it does for the far-left crazies. Gary, Your thoughts? do you agree with that? I, or, Greg, you look like you went yeah. away in on that as well. Yeah, yeah Go I, ahead, Greg. Actually, I much of your audience may disagree, and maybe some of the panelists disagree, but I actually don't think the country... Uh, where, where I come from and where I uh, uh, assimilate is as divided as everybody thinks it is. I think that is a, a great narrative to put out there. And as I, uh, I have said uh, a few times recently, the people who are saying that we are completely and utterly divided are the national media and the national pol- politicians, mm-hmm. both of whom have a great interest in keeping the country divided. Mm-hmm. And so they keep saying it all the time. But when I talk to people every day, this there's, there, the issues don't come up. I realize that people don't talk politics 24 hours a day, but I just don't see this as much as other people do. And I, I uh, but the people who keep saying these things are the ones who have a vested interest in making sure that it happens. Mm-hmm. And I'll agree with that too, Greg. I think that um, I think that in our general day-to-day lives, people get along pretty well, yeah, pretty much right. as always. The neighbors helping neighbors. Mm-hmm. Politics is not the big topic of discussion. But my worry is, I still think when people go into their homes at night or watch the news, they are still watching their preferred outlet. They're watching yeah. Fox if they're conservative, or they're watching MSNBC, or maybe CNN if they're if they're liberals. Mm-hmm. And they really do come away with two different sets of news, because I watch, I flip around, you know, and I'm, I'm amazed at how you know, one station is focusing totally on one subject and another one totally on another subject. And you really get an idea. There's, and, and when that's the case, you know, back in back in the day, there used to be three networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, the Nightly News, Cronkite on CBS and Huntley and Brinkley mm-hmm. and whoever was on ABC at the time. Mm-hmm. But they pretty much gave you the same news right? Uh, packaged the same way on all three networks and also PBS. I don't want to leave them out. But today you get a wild, wildly varying information coming to you, not just on television, but on the internet. We all, you know, the algorithms feed us what they find out we're interested in. So we get more of that. And uh, that's really probably the most dangerous thing I see going on in the country. Also, uh, we we have to pause, folks, but when we get back, we'll hear from Greg Ballard. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Thanks for joining us tonight on Father's Day. back uh, during the break. Uh, Bruno was disagreeing with you, Greg, so I'll let him make his point, and then we'll go back to you. 
it's it's not so much a disagreement. I, I do think that in our day to day lives, we all still get along, and we're trying to, and and everything. Um, but I, you know, when when Gary started talking about the judge who was saying that you know Republicans or Trump supporters are illegitimate, and there's all of this dangerous talk, um, I I spend a lot of time on the right side of the aisle, and I have to talk, you know, my peeps down from some of their crazier stuff, and I, and I I still have people who are or who swear that, that, you know, we're all going to die from the vaccines and they're, they're not horrible people. They're yeah. just wrong. Yeah. Um, and I try and talk them down and I try and, you know, and, and I'm, I tell every Republican I can talk to, it's like, don't support Trump. He is the Democrats most powerful organizing tool. Hmm. Anybody else but Trump. And, and it's, I, I try and use it as one liner. The strongest case against Trump for anybody listening to this is that he is the Democrats most powerful organizing tool. Uh, other people won't be, and they're, not that the Democrats are going to lie down for anybody. But but it, when when things have become that polarized, particularly at the cultural, you know, when when the news media is is thinking that of people, and when uh, and all the cultural high ground at the universities, and the cancel culture, and all the other stuff that's happening, you you can't just you can't just say I think things are fine. And I'm, I'm not saying maybe Gary wasn't saying maybe Greg wasn't saying that, but I, I think. I think we are very polarized, and, and even if we're not at each other's throats at the moment, and maybe we'll we'll never get into a, a hot culture war, um, you know the, the the stuff that we saw at the riots and the Chaz and Chop and stuff going on in Portland. These are you know these are serious. I have relatives in Portland. Portland isn't anything like Indianapolis right, right now. Yep. It's bad. Let's go to. Uh you wanted to make a point, Patrick, as well? Yeah, and about I think... the leader of the Republican Party? Oh, sure. I, I think, Bruno, a point that you've been <laughs> making tonight is that uh, uh, Judge Ludic misrepresented um, Republicans as a danger to democracy. And I really think that what he was trying to do was say, President Trump is still out there. His campaign staff are still out there. His supporters, his most fervent supporters, are still out there. And they do represent a danger to democracy, as has been demonstrated through the committee hearings, that from... You know, November through January, they but were looking so did, for every so single the, way to so subvert the, the so legitimate the election. News media, though, yeah. the news media agrees with the judge. They think that the Republican and the Republican Party is a pariah. It isn't just Trump. It, without question, is Trump in their minds. But it's every Republican. Mm. It's like every time they do an interview with with McCarthy, he's got to denounce somebody. They want him to denounce everybody. They want him to you name the subject. He's got to denounce somebody mm -hmm. before they will they will they will accept him. Mm -hmm. And that and that's that's where the news media is taking on. They're they're taking on the, what they think is their role. Yeah, their role isn't just to report what's happening politically in the country. Their role is to change what's mm. happening politically in the country. Well, and I think they're taking their role to mean drive attention, drive ad sales, and that gets back to this business model problem that we were Not talking about. Not being fair. That's unfair. Mm. And I think that's, I think they've lost their fairness. Yes, right. And they've sure. lost, the, uh, you know, objectivity is kind of hard to, to figure out. But fairness, they have yeah. lost their fairness. Well, they're not going for fairness. They're going for uh, attention. I, somebody wants to say something. Oh, Gary, was that you? No, Greg, no, it's me. Greg. They, I, 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 I kind of enjoy the press going after Republicans all the time because I think, we, I think that'll work in our favor. I, I we're, we tend to be a little quieter. I think about all these things, 
and we will respond appropriately at the at the voting booth because it didn't work in 16 obviously when they were trying to destroy trump and it's, right. it hasn't worked in other uh, elections uh, national elections did and it I, work, I just but it did it work in, greg did it work it. in 20 did it work in 20 greg look look back on well, i think i think people were so angry at trump in 2020 yeah. And the lines I saw in Indiana for 30 days prior to the election were out. The, I mean, they were so far out the door. Mm-hmm. I think people were just angry. And I think that's what drove that. Mm-hmm. And it was not based on anything that was uh, foisted on them or perpetuated by the media, in your view. It was just. No, I, think natural... Trump, I think Trump overcame the media. I mean, Trump was yeah. playing the media really well. Okay. Well, but I, I, the, the, what the media is doing right now, I think, is playing right into Republican hands. And I hope to continue it. Yeah. Doesn't the media want. Donald Trump to run again, Gary? Do they want anybody? Um, do part they, of them um, probably they'd does. like a primary, yeah, I mean, but for you know, there's no greater copy to be written, reports to be done than the outrageous <laughs> things they can write about Trump and yeah. and yeah. Uh, and he drives ratings. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether you love him or hate him, you tune in to either hate right. him or love him because that's right. He you know he definitely does that. So I think a part of them, yes, I think that's a good point, Bruce. Listen, it's getting late, and I realize that I'm addressing, I'm addressing a number of Republicans tonight and possibly a right-leaning audience, <laughs> but can I suggest that we, we need a little less capitalism in our media? Well, not yeah, really. but, that's, but Patrick, that's happened, um, you know, and not just broadcast. I mean, print is driven yeah. by clicks, yeah. by Internet clicks. Yeah. I mean, you read, you read the headlines that the media now uses on their stories compared to the type of just kind of factual headlines. Yeah. Everything is a tabloid type of headline now, you know, uh, everything's like, here's what Trump said to uh, 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 Pence and you'll never believe it. Yep. You know, that's a headline in, in, a, in a respected newspaper now um, because it's clicks and that's how they sell advertising. And they say, look, we generate this many clicks a month and that drives their ad rate. So uh, I'm going to de- I'm also going to defend capitalism because uh, <laughs> you've got look, there are there are media companies that are uh you know, maybe smaller than Fox, uh, you know, Sinclair comes to mind that I think are more balanced. Uh, and then uh, not everybody. I mean, yes, there's a certain element of if it bleeds, it leads and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But that's that's been a problem with the media for ages. Uh, if you want to look at capitalism, look at Substack, look at YouTube and and uh, look at all the different sources of information that are coming out now. But YouTube demonstrably leads you to the extremes of your opinion. If you watch one video about a banal Republican Party politician, all of a sudden you've got Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and Donald Trump, right? Uh, well, first of all, we're, 